0: Shoshin is a word from Zen Buddhism, and it means beginner's mind. And specifically, it alludes to having an attitude of openness, eagerness, and a lack of preconceptions when studying a subject. Even if you're studying that subject at an advanced level, you would approach it just like a beginner would. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. I'm a husband, a father, a friend, an educator who is curious about how the world works and sees connections every day. I hope to bring you a spirit of openness and eagerness to you each show as I explore topics in history, music, spirituality, and leadership. Well, here I am on the Stephen Thompson Experience. I am marching towards my 100th episode. So for the next few weeks, months as I move toward one hundred, I want to do a little bit of experimenting because I love to experiment on the Steven Thompson experience. So what I'm experimenting with this time is just the music that I use. I was recently recently DJing a party at the end of the year event at my job. I'm a school administrator. And as I was putting together a playlist I started thinking, I wonder if science has discovered what the most danceable t- tunes are in music. So I did a search and I found that actually there was a study. There was a study called Echo Nest, and Echonest was done by MIT Media Lab and it's owned by Spotify and it uses digital processing technology to identify attributes of songs. And what they identify, valence, instrumentation, and key signatures. And then what they did is they created an algorithm to determine the danceability of a song based on tempo and beat. And when they did that, they came up with a list of 20 songs. 20 songs that they determined that people could dance throughout the entire song. So I said, wow, that's really cool. So what they did, researchers at Columbia and then a European agency used the Echo Nest features with US Billboard rankings going back to 1958. And they were able to calculate the danceability for more than 90% of Billboard ranked songs. So what I'm going to be doing is building some of my episodes for the next few weeks off the songs off of that list. The first one is called It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. And It's Still Rock and Roll to Me was a 1980s song performed by Billy Joel from the hit album Glass Houses. Now this song was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for two weeks from July 19th through August 1st, 1980. The song additionally spent 11 weeks in the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 and was the seventh biggest hit of 1980 according to the 1980 American Top 40 list. Now what Billy Joel did in this song is he examined themes of his declining fame and the changing public tastes that he expressed in his earlier album in 1975 a song off of that album called The Entertainer. And for me, I want to look at this song, specifically exploring the themes of education, testing, and our bachelor's degrees. So, favorite part of the song. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress this trashy till you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. What's the matter with the car I'm driving? Can't you tell it's out of style? Should I get a new set of white wall tires? Are you going to cruise a miracle mile? Nowadays, you can't be too sentimental. Your best bet's a baby blue continental. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, it's still rock and roll to me. Now, as I listen to those weird words and I, I ponder them, I think about this question I'm asking myself What's the matter with a simpler, simple Bachelor's of Arts if you want to pursue a career in education? I'm an educator. I have a career in education. I train teachers, I help develop curriculum instruction for students with special needs. And I'm at a point in my career, 20 years at end now, where I'm turning into this phase where I'm mentoring others into the profession. And as I mentor others into the profession, I look back and I wonder, are we creating opportunities for people, or are we closing opportunities for people? And that's what I wanna talk about right now, is what is the matter with simply a Bachelor of Arts degree? if you want to pursue a career in education. Things may be shiny and new but the purpose is still the same. To make this point I want to talk about Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan was born in April 1866 in Feeding Hills, Massachusetts. Ann Sullivan was a teacher and she was known for her work with Helen Keller. And Helen Keller was a blind and deaf child. And Ann Sullivan taught Helen to communicate. Now, Ann Sullivan started working with Helen Keller when she, Ann Sullivan, was 20 years old. And Ann Sullivan herself had trouble with her eyesight. She developed a disease called trachoma. And that damaged her sight. And Anne's mother died when she was eight years old. Anne had a strong personality. Said at times she, she fought with her dad and her siblings after her mother's death. fact that it got so bad at her home that she was left alone. And she learned about schools for the blind and became determined to get an education in order to escape poverty. So she got sent to a special school. She got sent to the Perkins School for the Blind. And at Perkins she was able to get the help that she needed and she also got a degree. She got so good in education that she received the valedictorian honor of her class. And what she said in her speech, she said that duty bids us to go forth into an active life. Let us go cheerfully, hopefully, and earnestly and set ourselves to find our special part. When we have found it, willingly and faithfully perform it for every obstacle we overcome, every success we achieve tends to bring man closer to God. So she found a job after graduation. It was in Alabama and was being a teacher for a girl named Helen Keller. And Helen Keller was deaf and she was blind. And Sullivan worked with Keller And she helped Helen Keller to become the first person who was deaf and blind to receive a bachelor's degree. Helen Keller went on to do many great things in her life. For instance, she was the first person who was deaf and blind to earn a bachelor's degree. She published her own autobiography called The Story of Her Life in 1903. She published 12 books in her writing career including Light in My Darkness. She co-founded Helen Keller International in 1915. She was a prominent political and social activist. She was a leading member of the American Foundation for the Blind. She was a world renowned speaker. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1964. And additionally, she is ranked as one of the most influential people of the 20th century. So these things that Helen Keller did, they were made possible by her teacher, Ann Sullivan. And Ann Sullivan learned these skills in her college degree program. Which brings me to the point that I want to make. In the state of California, in order to become an educator, I had to take what is called the CBEST, which was one exam. Then I had to take the CSET, and three sections of it. A section on math, a section on history, a section on science, a section on language arts. The CBEST was another test That was a measure of my basic skills. Then I had to take another test called the RECA which was a test on how to teach people how to read. Then I had to get a preliminary credential. Then I had to go into another program after that to get a clear credential. Then to become an administrator I had to go into another program to get a preliminary administrative credential. Then I had to go into another program to get a clear administrative credential. So, that is one, two, three, four, five, six tests and four additional programs after my bachelor's degree. Now, why do we have to do this? Well, some people may say we need accountability and some people may say We need to know how people work with kids. We need to know that they have the right skills to work with children, but here's my question. I I, I agree that we do need to put people who are educated in the classroom. I agree that we need to have accountability, but what I don't necessarily agree with is why do we need to do additional programs? To me, that seems it's redundant. How many times do you need to prove that you have basic skills? Why isn't our bachelor's degrees good enough? Well, our bachelor's degrees might not be good enough because the financial incentive to other people after I get a bachelor's degree is very small and limited. You see, the testing industry generates a tremendous amount of income for itself. For example, in the state of California, according to the California Teaching Credential Association, in 2017 to 2018, excuse me <coughs> there are over 10,000 Csets given for multiple subject teaching credentials. That's not including the C sets given for individual specific courses of discipline. So, 10,000 tests at $95 a pop equals over 2.8 million dollars that individuals are spending to take the CSAT and sometimes people take them more than once. Now what pains me about this is that I work with educators who just recently graduated from college. Now remember that your pay scale is determined by these credentials. If you don't have these extra credentials you're not going to make what you are worth as an educator. Now you have the skill set to work with children and this is proven on a day-to-day basis but because you haven't passed the test you're not getting paid what you're worth. Now I think that this is out of balance. Shouldn't you be evaluated and compensated based upon your skill and ability with children? For instance in football you get paid for throwing touchdowns if you're a quarterback. You don't get paid for your performance on an exam. We would never even think of paying a professional athlete based upon their performance on an exam. We want our firemen and our police officers to be able to handle themselves in highly pressure packed situations. But yet, we make educators go through continuous testing after testing after testing when there really isn't any sort of study that shows if these tests are actually effective at demonstrating educational outcomes. Now the reason why, look back at Ann Sullivan. The CSET in California came about in 2003. In the 1800s, Ann Sullivan taught Helen Keller, who was deaf and blind, how to communicate. So if it was good enough in 1800, why is it not good enough now? I don't understand. You see, there should be a cause and effect relationship between what we are doing and the impact that it has on the job that we do. I can tell you right now I've been an educator for over 20 years. I took my tests just to meet the requirement. I didn't learn anything from them. They didn't make me a better educator. They didn't make me a better administrator. The only thing they did was satisfy a requirement and make somebody at a testing company a little bit more wealthy. And if that is the reason I'm taking a test, then I don't think the test is aligned with the business and the purpose that we are in. Because you see, the test should introduce something new. Something that we could not obtain without it. But if you're an educator, you're in the education business. And the education business is the business of working with individual students. It's working with parents. You see, as Billy Joel said, it's still rock and roll to me. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I hope you had time today to really think and reflect and explore as I explore. Thank you so much for listening to Stephen Thompson Experience, and until next time, have a great one.